everybody, it is Friday, March 1st, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Lake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. This week's episode, this Friday episode, we're going to talk a bit more about the FCA deal, uh, bringing jobs and production to the city of Detroit, and why that might not be as good of a thing as what we think. We definitely need to spend some time talking about the new Tesla Model 3. We're finally getting the $35,000 model as promised. Uh, And uh, there are just a wide number of topics to discuss on this particular thing. So we'll talk about that, uh, why it's good, the weird way the market's reacting to it, uh, and maybe why it is actually a bad thing, the way Tesla is doing it. Uh, In the culture segment, we're going to stick on the Tesla story for a little bit. Talk a bit about the way that they calculate sales prices for their cars that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, There's a reason why they do it, and it makes sense, but to someone who's maybe just interested in buying an electric car for the first time, they're going to see a number that's a little misleading uh, on the pricing of each of their vehicles. Maybe go into some further depth as well in that conversation about calculating whether or not an EV is a good vehicle purchase for you, Um, because it is something that's definitely worth considering when looking at purchasing an electric car. And then last up, a car that's on my mind. It is the Toyota Corolla IM, also known as the Scion IM, which was also known as the Toyota Aorus for a short amount of time before the vehicle was axed. late last year. Um, I'm constantly reminded of this car just because, well, I see them somewhat frequently around here. Um, But yeah, just some thoughts about that car and the weird way that maybe reminiscing a bit more about the death of Scion now a few years out from uh, that brand no longer existing. But with all that in mind, guys, uh, this is the part where I remind you that the Salvage Title podcast is done twice a week. We do it on Tuesday with a shorter car-themed episodes. Sometimes it's newsy, sometimes it's not. You never really know what you're gonna get. Those are gonna be the scrap story episodes. Friday is the big show, as we're here right now doing. And then we also do the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide episodes, where I break down a segment of vehicles, pick the top three models, and then add a fourth model for flavor. Now, granted, I might not always be picking the best ones in every scenario, like what uh, Consumer Reports might rank them as, but uh, definitely ones that I would recommend buying uh, to some extent. But anyway, guys, with all that in mind, after the music bump, after an ad, and maybe one more music bump, we'll talk about FCA uh, coming back to Detroit. So if you guys uh, remind back to the episode earlier this week where I talked about uh, FCA bringing in billions of dollars of investments to Michigan, and I think Indiana was the other place that's going to get some attention, uh, we're going to be getting an updated car plant in Detroit that's going to be making the new Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer SUVs, body-on-frame SUVs, in the not-too-distant future. Just the same, the all-new Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is not too distant uh, when it comes to uh, releases, uh, that one is going to get a significant reinvestment in its production plant just outside of Detroit. Um, that also is the same plant in which the 
Dodge Durango is built in, so presumably that would mean that we're getting an all-new Dodge Durango in the not-too-distant future as well. Uh, this is, of course, great news because, you know, a company that's based in Detroit is reinvesting in the city. Um, it's going to provide a large number of jobs for people who not only work here in Michigan, um, but it provides an opportunity for people who would maybe have a chance to move to Michigan and help continue to rebuild uh, not just Detroit, but the entire east side of the state. Uh, you know, things have been not particularly great since the late 90s, and uh, this has been a nice thing to see, that little bit of a turnaround each and every time. But on the same token, I have berated FCA, among many other car companies, uh, for their continued heavy investment in SUVs and crossovers, despite the fact that at any given time, gasoline could rise right back up to $100 a barrel, and the likelihood that the market will continue to embrace crossovers and SUVs, I think, gets cut significantly. Uh, this is important, of course, because FCA was the first car company to basically say they don't give a damn about cars in their lineup anymore. They only care about crossovers and SUVs. Uh, Sergio Marchi Marchioni, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, basically divested all R&D in the company uh, from small cars, leaving, you know, some scraps for Fiat to do some things, but really spending oodles and oodles of cash on developing next-generation Jeeps and next-generation Ram trucks. And uh, in the end, you know, Sergio was right on his bet, uh, much to uh, my chagrin, I guess, as it were. But uh, if you look at the, the profits and losses of Fiat on the whole, you know, Ram and Jeep, they're driving a huge amount of success for the company. And on the one hand, you know, that's great. They're being successful. They're making lots of cash. You know, these trucks and SUVs and crossovers are paying for the fact that the Ferrari F8 is going to be a thing. But at the same time, there's no small cars in the lineup anymore. There's nothing affordable anymore. There's nothing that's cheap or fun to drive for people who are enthusiasts. I mean... Yes, you know, Alfa Romeo makes some things that they don't sell here in the United States, but those things are probably never going to come here in the first place, and that's always a disappointment. But getting back to the Detroit scenario, uh, what does concern me is that Fiat is spending all of this money assuming the SUVs are going to continue to be a thing. Uh, you know, the Grand Wagoneer and Wagoneer are going to be large body-on-frame SUVs. That in itself is pretty big news because we have not had a body-on-frame Jeep aside from the Wrangler in quite some time. Uh, presumably these large SUVs are going to be based on the Ram 1500. Uh, they are very likely going to share powertrains with the Ram 1500, um, which, you know, again, not necessarily bad things, but when gas hits $100 a barrel, $110 a barrel, something more than that. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if some middle-aged man or woman in Topeka are going to be looking to spend, you know, over $100 to fill up the gas tank in their SUV that gets at most 20 miles a gallon if they're driving very nicely on a very flat plane with no wind at all. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not a bean counter. I'm not the kind of person who can make these incredible guesses on where the market is going. Um, I'm sure that marketing will likely push these things in any given way. 
Um, you know, Jeep did seem to indicate that these crossovers and SUVs will be electrified units. It sounds like the hybridization of these vehicles is going to become a somewhat permanent thing. So more or less the e-torque engine options from the Ram 1500 would probably be standard in these vehicles. Uh, but, you know, until we see proof of what this thing actually is, you know, it's, it's tough to get super excited. I just... I don't like the idea that people who are going to be working these facilities, uh, a company like FCA, uh, you know, an entire region in a state are going to be hanging their hats on these models that we just have to hope keep selling until gas runs out or gas gets too expensive or the environmental problems become so bad that people are unwilling to buy them. And, you know, I've talked on the show about how uh, Ford and GM are looking to electrify their pickup trucks and large SUVs. We haven't seen that from Fiat yet. Uh, Fiat Chrysler has not indicated that they are planning an electric pickup truck in any scenario. And as much as, you know, FCA spent a lot of money reinventing the tailgate for the Ram to be a response to the GMC Sierra, uh, there's been no word that electrification of their trucks is going to be a thing that's going to be done. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a big mess for me. You know, I, on the one hand, don't look, at, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Be thankful that they're spending this time and money reinvesting in a community that desperately does need the jobs and is the place where this uh, company is based. Uh, but at the same time, oh, man, you know, I, I just feel like this could be like a Foxconn type deal where it's like, all of these promises are made that all these jobs are going to be created and all these tax breaks might end up happening for, for FCA. But as soon as the market goes belly up on these kinds of vehicles, you know, what's the likelihood that this plant gets idled just the same and gets shut down and things go to hell again. And, you know, we, we just, we got to make smarter choices. We got to be, you know, willing to make smart decisions to future-proof them, and I just, I don't really see that, for the most part, from, you know, GM, Chrysler, and Ford, and, you know, it, I think it's foolish of me to even assume at any point that they would make the right decision, so, I don't know, how do you guys feel about this kind of investment? Is this something that you're interested in? Um, I'd love to hear feedback if you've got some thoughts on it, uh, because it is a big news item, maybe not for the whole country, but definitely for us in Michigan, you know, I don't think that people are going to turn away this this factory at any point in time. It sounds like major investments are being made uh, throughout Detroit right now to get people trained to work in these factories. Um, but I guess we'll just see what happens. It's going to be a couple year process until things start really moving along. Uh, but it's exciting nevertheless. So, Tesla had a big announcement yesterday about the $35,000 Tesla Model 3. Uh, we'll get more to that specifically at the moment. Uh, but the other big news that was included in this announcement is that they are changing prices and trim levels on all of their cars across the board, not just with the Model 3. Uh, some cars like the Model S are getting quote-unquote significantly cheaper um, with different ways that they're doing battery formats inside the car and the way that the trim option packages are priced out. Uh, so your success in finding affordability in those much nicer, much larger Teslas may greatly vary, um, but it's kind of sad, at least to me, that they're going to be getting away from the P100D designation 
designation, you know, talking about the battery size and what options are on the car to just going to, you know, performance model with all wheel drive, you know, it means something to my mom to see that plain, plain language to go, oh, that's what that is uh, versus somebody like me where I go, oh, you know, that's the car that does whatever. Who knows? I I think it's it's good that they're reevaluating their trims and prices, but it loses some of the character that Tesla's been building up for the past couple of years. Uh, the other big announcement is that Tesla is moving entirely to online orders and physical in-person deliveries on their cars. Um, this means, of course, that they are shutting down uh, the overwhelming majority of their dealerships and their showrooms all across the country. Um, their argument is that uh, in order to be able to pay for the Model 3, the cheaper new Model 3, uh, they need to make some sacrifices when it comes to uh, rent and payroll um, to make up for that. Whether or not that is actually the case, I don't know. Uh, me leaning into the idea that uh, labor rights are very important and that uh, physical human interaction in some deals like this is also very important. Um, this is a big disappointment, but at the same time, you know, if this is going to let them sidestep some of the state laws regarding that you have to go to dealerships uh, to purchase these vehicles, um, this could be a big help in some regards. So we will see. I think I'm definitely very curious to know how this is going to affect somebody like me who lives in Michigan, where if I wanted to purchase a Tesla, currently I have to go to Illinois to do so. Um, but if this makes that process that much easier, um, that is a kind of exciting prospect going forward. Now, of course, the big elephant in the room is the $35,000 Tesla Model 3, uh, which has been promised for, what, three years now? Somewhere along, along those lines. Um, this base trim Model 3 has been, quote-unquote, in development uh, for quite a while. More or less, it sounds like Tesla was basically deciding uh, what kind of trim they do and do not want you to have in this car compared to the uh, current mid-range and performance version of the car. Um, the base trim Model 3 will start at $35,000 before destination, so the true actual price of the car is a little over $36,000. Again, not a bad deal when you consider all of the things that you are getting. It is a premium, uh, highly rated car company um, that does have some very good styling choices being made. You still get the full glass roof on the car. Um, you are getting, you know, some of those supercharger network accesses that are good even though you still have to pay to charge your car hey you can still supercharge your car and that's a good thing um but yeah i mean the basically basically the big sacrifice you're getting is no leather interior you're losing some st some storage space big range cut down from around 300 miles to only 225 miles um some performance gets cut from the car overall but I think, you know, if you lived in like San Diego or in Austin, Texas, where, you know, it gets warm, but it doesn't get, well, I guess maybe Austin gets a little too hot. But in San Diego, as an example, if you live in a part of the country where it gets warm, but it doesn't get cold, you know, this base trim Tesla Model 3, I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. You know, you're still getting the full dashboard um, with the electronic stuff. You might lose some of the navigation things and the map access, but... Eh, you know, I, I, I think it still does the part. 
Now, Tesla is offering a $2,000 uh, option on it that adds a little more range to the car. I think it's like an extra 15 miles. It increases the performance of the car, gives it some leatherette seating surfaces. It gives you greater access to the infotainment system. Uh, this really speaks to me as the main way that I'm guessing a lot of these cars are going to get optioned. Um, that base trim model is really, I think, just there to meet the baseline standards for a lot of people. Um, but this, like, premium whatever option that they're adding uh, in between the standard car and the mid-range model um, really seems to make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, if I were buying one, I would definitely tick that option box just because the extra creature conference, like heated seats, I think is one thing that's included, uh, really would seem to go a very long way, uh, especially here in Michigan, um, for really a relatively low cost. Uh, other stuff on up the line, you know, you can get the autopilot for like $3,000. Uh, Tesla also announced that they're doing the full uh, autonomous stuff is coming down the road, and you can buy that right now on these uh, $35,000 Tesla Model 3s. That fully autonomous system is basically going to give the car full control to drive itself. Uh, to me, it sounds more like a GM Super Cruise type scenario where you don't really have to input a whole lot of stuff. It will change lanes for you, like the autopilot features. It will do stop-and-go traffic. Um, but the main thing is that it's following your navigation inputs to take you where you're going. Um, this is the autonomous dream that a lot of people have been looking for. But kind of hidden in the details there is that your local laws might prohibit the use of this system uh, going forward. Um, I feel like that would be a pretty bad bet for you to take as a potential buyer right now. Yes, it's only a $5,000 option box, but if you live in a part of the country where that's never really going to become a thing or you're never really going to be able to use it, um, I, I just don't see why you would spend that money, especially when you can add the feature later on for $7,000. Um, it seems like a small cost, uh, all things considered, the extra two grand later on down the line. In general, you know, the $35,000 car makes a lot of sense. I think it is nicely equipped. I think it is, you know, appropriately styled. I think it is, for the most part, what people need when it comes to buying a car. I think the big question for me right now is, for $35,000, are you getting enough of a good electric car? Or would your $35,000 be better spent somewhere else? Uh, by that, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of the Kona EV. I'm thinking of the Nero EV. I'm thinking of the new uh, Leaf Plus. Uh, those models, you know, are around that same price range. Some of them are a little bit less. Some of them are a little bit more. Um, but those three cars have a greater range capacity than this Tesla does. And whether or not those are the right cars for you, I think really kind of depends on what you're looking for and whether or not you care about that Tesla badge being on the front of the car. Um, I, I'm not 100% convinced that the $35,000 Tesla Model 3 is for everybody in the same way that a $30,000 with incentives, uh, you know, what do you call it, Hyundai uh, Kona EV would be. Uh, there's just a lot more standard features in that particular model that I think I would want to live with day to day compared to the Tesla, but that's just me. So, um... There's a lot more to, we can kind of talk about about pricing and weird things that Tesla does with this. Uh, we'll get to that in the car culture segment. Um, but yeah, huge news that this car is finally coming. And I really do feel like we're going to see a big 
explosion in Tesla Model 3 sales in the not-too-distant future. Uh, this seems to be the price that a lot of people were looking to pay on this car, and I think even with some small extra cost sacrifices, it still seems like a good deal. Now, whether or not they get into leasing in the same way that we talked about last week in the car culture segment uh, to drive sales, I think will kind of be interesting to see. You know, at $35,000, you know, with a modestly sized down payment, I think that would be a pretty affordable lease price. And having that car, you know, for three years, turns out you might like it. And we've seen that Teslas hold their resale values quite well. It might end up being a pretty affordable lease. So whether or not that's the right choice for you to make, I think is going to be an interesting way to think about it and talk about it. And it's going to have some really interesting prospects for used cars in the not too distant future. So for fans of EVs, it's an exciting time, um, and I'm hoping that we continue to see these big changes being made going forward. Let's just hope it doesn't continue to come at the cost of employment for lots of people. So to kind of toe along with the story about the $35,000 Tesla Model 3, I wanted to talk about the idea of owning an EV and really kind of specifically lock it into that particular car. Now, granted, there are a lot of variables involved in this that aren't going to be necessarily the case for you, depending on where you live, not just in the United States, but maybe Canada, the UK, Australia, anywhere else. Uh, there are dozens of variables to consider, I would say, uh, beyond what I'm going to talk about here. And uh, so don't take this as gospel for what's going to work for me or not work for me and what will work for you or not work for you. Um, but these are definitely things that you need to consider when looking at buying an EV that I think are really important uh, that kind of go for or against this $35,000 Tesla Model 3. First and foremost, I think you need to consider where you live. Now, if you live in a part of the world or a part of the country or wherever where temperatures are pretty moderate throughout the year, you don't have these extreme flexes of hot and cold, you know, you're going to be in a place where your battery and your range of your EV is going to be pretty consistent day to day, month to month, year round. And that makes for a much better ownership experience than what somebody like me here in Michigan would have, where temperatures can be as low as the, you know, negative teens and up to 100 degrees or more in the summertime and that kind of range of temperature can have a huge effect on the performance and range of your car. Uh, arguably uh, a lot of studies have said somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of range can be lost in those extreme temperature situations and at least in the case of the $35,000 Tesla that range of about 220, 225 miles would drop to about 150 to 160 miles of range. And, you know, for most people, day to day, that would be more than enough to get to and fro. But it does play havoc on your ability to use it as a quote-unquote normal car uh, in everyday situations. Second up, I think, is also to consider not just where you live temperature-wise, climate-wise, whatever, is to consider what kind of access you have to charging. You know, if you live in a home, you are going to have to pay to install a 240 volt charger. Um, so it'd be like a dryer outlet uh, here in the United States uh, in your garage or hook it up to one that's maybe somewhere. Uh, you have to pay for the charging cable uh, that would charge your car at home. And then you also have to pay for the charging rates to charge your car while it is at home. 
Uh, in many places across the country, you have different rates throughout the day. You know, peak times uh, when people first get up and when people are uh, first getting home from work, it is usually much more expensive to charge things uh, versus like late at night when most people are sleeping where it's much more affordable to charge your car. Um, in the past, some car companies have designed their electric vehicles to be plugged in and wait to charge until off-peak times, um, which can be a very good thing to save money. Um, but again, that's going to vary where you are. Also, charging rates themselves are going to vary quite a bit depending on where you are. Uh, living in Michigan, if I remember correctly, we're in that higher third of states when it comes to average electricity rates. Um, I think the state average is about 14 cents per kilowatt hour, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that bad. But again, your results may vary. Uh, the other thing is going to be, you know, if you live in places like apartments or condos where you don't have easy access to charging, um, you might just be shit out of luck when it comes to finding a source of electricity for your car. That may mean that you either have to negotiate with your landlord or with your property manager to get some kind of charging station put in, which takes a lot of time, which, you know, usually wouldn't be associated with you in terms of cost, but it might be a different situation altogether. Or you are going to have to drive your car to a public charging station. So if you own a Tesla, you could obviously go to a supercharger station. And in the case of owning a Model 3, you are going to have to pay for use of the supercharger station, um, which can be quite a bit higher than your home electricity rates. Or you might have to go to a public utility option where things can cost as much as a dollar or more per kilowatt hour. And that dramatically increases the price of electricity for charging your car. Not every scenario is quite the same in that regard, of course. Uh, here in Michigan, at least in the greater Grand Rapids area, there are a lot of free electric car chargers that people have access to um, all across the city and across many of the other cities all up and down the lake. Um, where I work in Holland, there are multiple free electric car chargers that I could access at any given time, assuming that somebody's not on that charger when I get there. Um, that is a big bonus, of course, that you could potentially save a lot of money by not having to pay to charge your car. But again, you would still have to get your car back home. And that, of course, reduces that range that you would have available to you at any given time. Uh, some places also have situations where maybe the chargers are free to use, but you then have to pay to park. So you might end up paying $3 an hour to sit your car in that parking lot while you're charging your car, even though the charging is free. Eh, math is a big thing. Beyond those things, you know, you got to think about insurance rates. Insurance rates are typically much higher on EVs, plug-in hybrids, and hybrids themselves because the parts are a little more rare. They don't sell as many, so they cost more to source uh, if there's ever a problem with your car. But on the flip side of that, maintenance can often be cheaper on EVs because there are less moving parts in the vehicle. You know, there isn't a what basically amounts to a bomb under the hood uh, waiting to explode if you don't put enough oil in or any other number of things that can go wrong. Um, so that can be an upside to owning an EV. Uh, and really, you know, I think it's comes down to use and what kind of range you need out of your car. And what you expect to do with your car or truck or SUV or whatever you end up getting uh, in terms of an electric car. So in this scenario, we're going to talk about me. I drive about 60 miles a day round trip most days for me to go to work uh, from where I live in Grand Rapids out to the lakeshore in Holland. Now, 
<clears throat> in that drive, it's mostly highway miles, so I would need to limit my speed to the speed limit of 70 miles an hour. And in that maximum use scenario, Tesla would say that I would have about 200 and, or excuse me, 220, 225 miles of range with the base trim Model 3. Uh, but of course, my mileage will likely vary quite a bit in that scenario. Uh, this would be compared against my Ford Fiesta that I currently have. It's a 2011 model. Uh, with the manual transmission, it gets about 35 miles per gallon on the highway. Now, again, I can do a lot better and I can do a lot worse in that scenario. Um, but 35 seems to be about the average throughout the year, depending on th how things are going. So one thing you need to consider when you're grabbing an electric car is the weird math that works out when you know, one, how far you drive. Two, what the range of the vehicle is, and three, how big the battery is inside the car. So in this case of this base trim Model 3, we're going to guesstimate that the battery size is about 83-85% of what the mid-range model is, which is about 62 kilowatt hours. That would mean that the base trim battery has about a 52 kilowatt hour battery, which is arguably on the smaller side for some battery stuff as of late. Um, Given my 60-mile commute, divided by 224 miles of range, which is about 27% of the capacity overall, I would be using 14 kilowatt hours per day in my regular commute with no extra stops, no other things being involved. At 14 cents a kilowatt hour, the Michigan State average, it would cost me about $1.96 a day to drive to and from work. That's you know, relatively affordable. $2 a day seems pretty reasonable, all things considered. If I was to pay a Tesla supercharger rate on average, now granted this is the California rate, I'm not sure what it is in Michigan right now, um, that would work out to be about 34 cents a kilowatt hour on average. That would drive that cost up uh, to use my Tesla per day to $4.76 a day, which is interesting because that gets very close to what it would cost me to drive my Fiesta to and from work. Um, at 35 miles per gallon, uh, it works out to at 250 a gallon, which is where gas seems to be hovering as of late. It's about 429 a day. So it actually cost me more to drive a Tesla to work than it would my Fiesta. And in the end, you know, that's really going to flex an awful lot here and there, depending on the time of year, so on and so forth. Um, what is kind of interesting to get into, which is something I referenced earlier in the show, where if gas gets expensive again, you know, we get up to peak prices from back in like what it was in 2012. The national average was $3.62 a gallon. Um, that would be about $6.20 for me to drive to and from work per day. Uh, and here in Michigan, gas was routinely above $4 a gallon. So it gets even more expensive past that. And typically, electric rates don't change a whole lot in that scenario. So that Tesla would be much, much, much more affordable, especially if you're charging from home in that scenario. Now, when you look at Tesla's configurator, as I suggested you do up at the top of the show, um, you price out that Model 3, you know, you you get the base trim model, you get that $2,000 interior upgrade with a little bit more range, you get the autopilot feature, that's a $40,000 Model 3. All things considered, I think that's a pretty fair price for that car. When you break down the price thing, they, you know, they take out the $3,750 federal tax credit, and eh, whatever, you know, that's a weird way to calculate things, but that's how it works. But then they take out a $4,300 gas savings over six years. 
And that is a very confusing metric to put on that page. Uh, that $4,300 gas savings, divide that out per year, it's about $718 a year. Divide that by, tw or do the math with 12,000 miles per year, that ends up working out to 42 miles per gallon of equivalency. And that's a really weird rate in which to compare the Tesla to, because there are a lot of cars in which you know, that wouldn't be anywhere close to the miles per gallon you would get as a direct competitor to the Tesla. You know, I'm thinking of cars like the BMW 3 Series, the Mercedes C-Class, the Audi A4. They're not going to get 42 miles per gallon. So why they include that number in the total cost savings for you as a purchaser, and then they instead say, oh, well, this Tesla Model 3 costs less than $32,000 for you, uh, that's a lot of bullshit. And it's a really weird... Uh, I would argue, somewhat deceptive tactic to make this car seem that much more affordable. Um, but in general, you know, again, this is really going to depend on what you have because, you know, we can do straight line comparisons of what it would cost me to drive, you know, my Fiesta for a whole year and look just in terms of gasoline and electricity. But when you start factoring in insurance costs, you start factoring in basic maintenance for my uh, for both cars over that time frame, things can get wildly uneven, you know, and I think it's definitely something that a lot of people need to look much closer at before they start looking at buying an electric vehicle. I know I did this for the Chevrolet Volt not that long ago, the first generation model, and as much as I feel that it would be a good choice in terms of you know, what I care about when it comes to the environment, what I care about when it comes to supporting brands that make these EV decisions. Uh, the reality of the situation was that it would cost me, you know, $100 plus more a month to own a Volt and operate it that way than it would for me to use my current car that I own. And that was just not a justifiable purchase quite yet. What I'm going to have to do one of these days, maybe this will be an update later on down the road on another episode of the show, I would uh, like to contact my car insurance company, uh, see what kind of quote I could get on a Model 3, uh, maybe start looking into what the average ownership costs would be on something like a Model 3, uh, and really kind of price it out and see if I would save a lot of money over that amount of time, if I did have that optimal charging situation of being able to charge at home. Um, but I think the truth of the matter would be that right now, how I live, how I drive each and every day, probably not going to be a situation that works for me. So I'd be really curious to hear, you know, if you guys have different experiences where that would be a huge cost savings for you. Um, I think there are people out there right now where, you know, maybe you don't buy a $35,000 Tesla Model 3, but you instead buy a used Nissan Leaf or a used uh, Chevy Spark like I talked about, uh, you know, last time on the show. You know, you could save a lot of money each and every year if you're willing to make certain amounts of sacrifices, and that might be a really good scenario for you. So keep it in mind. You know, if you're looking for a new car, a new truck, if there's an electric option available to you that's of the size and quality that you expect, it might be worth a look.
So last up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Scion, and more specifically a car that uh, I saw earlier today, which was the Toyota Corolla IM, which was a carryover from Scion uh, once the brand had gone away. Now, the Notes version of what Scion is and was not uh, is can be kind of long, kind of short. In the shortest sense of measure, uh, Toyota was facing a crossroads in the early aughts uh, they had had a lot of success with younger people in the 70s, 80s, and 90s um, buying their cars for fuel efficiency, reliability, quality, and all of that. And those people had continued to buy cars into the early 2000s. But Toyota was noticing that many of their buyers were much older, younger people were not backfilling in, and their solution to that problem, of course, was creating the Scion brand to not only cater to young people's taste in terms of practicality, uh, refinement, uh, fuel economy, uh, but also into the tuner car culture that had been growing at that point in time. Uh, Scion had a really weird staged rollout across the United States, uh, and it took several years for Scion to go from an introductory brand in places like California, Texas, and New York to being something that you could get here in Michigan. Now, they had many different vehicles in their lifetime. Uh, the Main ones were, of course, the uh, XA, the XB, and the TC. Um, they also replaced some of those cars with later generations, including the XD. Uh, they had the GT86 equivalent uh, in their lineup, as well as the IA and later the IM. Now, the IM was a really great car for me in particular because it was a true import of their European Aurus, which is what the Corolla had been named for quite a long time uh, over in the EU. Uh, the Aurus had a much more sophisticated chassis design that was stiffer, uh, had a multi-link rear suspension, it used a smaller and smarter engine, and really the overall design language of the car was just so much more expressive than what Toyota was putting on their Corolla at the time. Um, I think I had mentioned this earlier in this week, but there are a lot of things with the outgoing Corolla sedan that you can trace back 10 years or more in terms of design. Toyota is notorious for not fixing things that aren't broken, and you know whether it's the engine, the transmission, the chassis, certain interior pieces, uh, there are roots in that Corolla that, you know... <laughs> are exceeding uh, some kids' ability to be able to buy cigarettes, I'm sure, at this point. Um, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. And it's always weird to me that the IM was never much more of a success than what it was. Uh, yes, it had rolled out as a Scion initially, which, of course, probably hindered sales to some extent. But when it was fixed pricing at Scion for about $20,000, I don't know if there were many compact cars you could get with the same level of equipment, with the same level of refinement for that kind of money. Uh, this car, I, I have driven one, uh, was one of the most pleasurable new car experiences that I had had in quite some time, simply because the seats were comfortable. Number one. Number two, it was easy to get in and out of. And three, the ride felt great. It was supple. It was confident uh, in corners. And yet, you know, it was a quiet, somewhat luxurious experience. There are a lot of soft touch materials on the dashboard that just weren't there for the comparable Corolla. And really, I, I really honestly felt that you had to be crazy to not get the Corolla IM versus the Corolla sedan uh, at that point in time. 
Now, eventually, Toyota axed the Scion brand. It kind of got a last-minute kind of bit of rep uh, reprieve uh, in terms of a death sentence. So the Ion, or excuse me, the IM became a Corolla IM. Uh, I think it was on sale for a year. And then it was axed in 2018 for the new 2019 uh, Corolla to come on sale. Now, this brand new Corolla exists pretty much solely because that IM was here. It did okay, um, but people, you know, made their voices heard. Hatchbacks are here. They're back in a way that I think a lot of brands didn't really expect. And, you know, the death of the IM brought us the new Corolla hatchback, which again, is based on a chassis that is stiffer. It has a multi-link suspension in the back. It's got really expressive and dramatic styling. And in the end, is a car that is desirable for the first time in a long time. And that is just incredibly cool for Toyota. And it's sad that Scion had to die for this to happen. Uh, but, you know, to be able to say that Toyota is back to give Toyota models a recommendation when it comes to purchasing, I think is a big deal for a lot of people. And, you know, as much as the IM uh, didn't do things to set the world on fire, uh, I think we're going to be met much, much better off in the end. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, and you can also follow along with this show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, uh, we make this show available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms for free including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Uh, if you aren't subscribed, why don't you just hit that subscribe button? It's super easy to do. It's super cool. If you're already subscribed, thank you so much. That's really great. Um, if you are on a platform that asks for ratings for this podcast, if you could do so, that would be super duper. It helps us get seen by more people. And if you are hearing things that you're interested in, you think other people might be interested in, hitting that share button only takes a second. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, in other news, guys, I feel like hot garbage. I breathed in a ton of dust the other day at work, and I feel like my voice is slowly going away. So if audio gets weird and I seem rambly, I'm sure that feeling like shit is a big part of it. Uh, but with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your weekend, and we will see you on Tuesday for the next Salvage Title Scrap Story. So until then... We'll see you next time here on the Salvage Title Podcast.